Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Humane Action Podcast. Jason here again with you. Natalie's here. Say hello, Natalie. Hi, everybody. And today we have Joe Kirkner. Did I say that right? I should have asked you ahead of time. <laughs> no, you did. Great job. All right, good. Uh, Joe is the Director of Operations for Animal Advocates of South Central Pennsylvania. We had uh, his uh, podcast on our Humane Action Radio for a while, so I know his voice very well. First time I met uh, Joe uh, today on our Zoom uh, meeting here. So nice to meet you, Joe. Nice to meet you, too. Thanks for having me. Good. Welcome. Uh, so as I told you, we're going to do a little trivia at first. And today, it's not going to be straight trivia questions. We're going to do uh, what's called two events one year. And I don't think, Natalie, you had this before, but you might have. I don't know. But uh, here's how it's going to. Here's what we're going to do just to mix it up a little bit. I'm going to say two events, and Joe, you will get to guess the year first, and then Natalie will get to try to say another year, and whoever is closer gets the point. So we'll do that back and forth. Okay? All right. Okay, here's the two events. Joe, you tell me your guess. Bush declares mission accomplished. The Simple Life with Paris Hilton first airs. 2011. Natalie? Natalie? I think it's like 2005. It is three. So Natalie gets the first point. Wait. Oh, 2003. Yep. Yep. Oh, God. I'm old. That seems like just yesterday. Yep. I have a terrible sense of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we picked a You good might want to be proud that you don't know when Paris Hilton's The Simple <laughs> Life was on. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. I should know that Mission Accomplished wasn't obviously during Obama's presidency, but. Or, wait, was it? Ah, oh, jeez. I'm going to stop talking before I make a fool of myself <laughs> even more. <laughs> All right, Natalie. The uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, no, no, no. Not that one. I'm sorry. Uh, Top Gun is released. Chernobyl has a meltdown. Uh, 1986? All right. Well, you got it right on, so you get the point. Ah. Well done. Sorry, Joe. No chance on that one. It's all right. It's all right. Okay, Joe, for a chance to just go into halftime down by one, Oprah's final episode airs. Charlie Sheen has a meltdown. Uh, 2004. Okay. Natalie? That one I really don't know. Um, 2010? It's 11. 2011. So now, See, I was just, I was two questions ahead of the game. That's it. You are. You're a forward thinker. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see if you can make up three uh, questions at the end of the round to see if you can knock off Natalie today. Um, let's get started with our podcast, our interview uh, portion of the program. Uh, Joe, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became vegan? Oh, yeah. I'll go over my vegan journey real quick for you. So... I grew up in New Jersey. I went to college out in Gettysburg and I graduated in 2014. And after graduation, we had, or after classes ended, we had a week in between graduation and the end of classes. So everyone in my fraternity went down to Myrtle Beach and basically had a week of cavorting and carrying on. And I essentially lived off hard liquor and cigarettes for a week. And my body. I'm liking this vegan journey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Go ahead. <laughs> so, 
at the end of the week, we were driving back, and uh, at some point, I had to stop partying, so I did, and my body started going into total system failure. There's a hangover, and then there's total system failure. I could not move three feet to pick up a granola bar just because my body was saying enough already. So at that moment, I decided to start treating my body better, practice a more healthful, mindful diet. And at the time, in my adult brain, veganism seemed like the option or good route to go about doing that. So I'd already been dabbling a lot of vegetarian and vegan options on campus because we had a very robust dining services there. So going to transition to full vegan, at least to try it out to start, didn't seem like too daunting a thing. So I was tried it out and I looked more into ethics of it and got more involved in volunteer work, meeting more people, started reading a lot, doing a lot of research and just became more and more a part of my lifestyle. And then one thing led to another and six and a half years later, here I am, part of a leadership team on a nonprofit dedicated to veganism, still practicing the diet and it's just part of my lifestyle now. I love that because people always think that we vegans are no fun. And maybe, Joe, maybe you're not as fun now that you've gone to clean living, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like we're just like normal people, right? And we like to have a good time. That's really, so you, you went into it for health reasons at first, It's and then you kind of, the ethics came later. Yeah, that's correct. I think that's really one of the most effective ways is to get people in with the health and then at the end of the day, the health argument only lasts until you see a person eating a cheeseburger who's still healthy. And then you got to find another reason to stick around. And I think the ethics and really just compassion aspect of it makes that more of a possibility and makes it more sticky for people mm -hmm. in the long run. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, since you since you brought up your organization, let's talk a little bit more about that. I know that I came across Animal Advocates of South Central Pennsylvania when I was working on a campaign to uh, end wildlife killing contests in Pennsylvania, and we were looking for more advocates from across the state. And I looked at your website, and it was just, oh my gosh, these people are so similar to HAP. We have a lot of the same values, and we're working on a lot of the same types of issues. So can you just tell us a little bit more about the work that your organization does? Mammal Advocates is a vegan advocacy organization, and we really just meet people wherever they're at in ways that work for them, but always lead with compassion, empathy, and understanding, because as my vegan journey illustrates, that everyone is on different stages of their vegan journey. Even if they're not vegan at all yet, they're still on the vegan journey in our eyes. And so approaching that with compassion and with that in a way that appeals to them is the best way to get them looped in. And our advocacy takes many forms. We could be putting together a billboard campaign to get billboards up in high traffic areas to get people just thinking about it. We could be doing a vegan challenge, giving people resources so they can navigate a vegan lifestyle for a limited period of time with expectation to keep it going. Or we could even be at a street fair with a booth offering people virtual reality experiences. We could be organizing a veg fest to bring thousands of people from across the area together to celebrate veganism. We could be volunteering at a local farmed animal sanctuary. We could be organizing a podcast. Our forms of advocacy really take the form of whatever our group is passionate about at that time and what our limited resources and energy can accommodate because we are an all-volunteer organization made up of a few dozen core members and a, probably a few dozen more periphery members. So 
but we do really have to have buy-in from at least a few people to get it going. So uh, I feel your pain with the uh, all volunteer organization struggles, Joe. <laughs> you you mentioned a lot of things there, and you also said about um, uh, I, I lost my train of thought. But um, sorry, no, 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 it's all right. Uh, basically, I just want to know what of all the things you mentioned. What what is the what do you think like the best sort of spark to get people to consider uh, adopting veganism is like what 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 would you say would be a good starting point or the the most productive starting point or efficient or what, however you want to call it? I think the most accessible way to experience or advocacy, you think a word like that, I'd be able to say better at this point in the game, seeing as it's part of our name and part of my lifestyle. <laughs> uh, our most accessible form of advocacy, both for our volunteers and the public at large, would probably have to be our presence at non-vegan events. So let's say there's a big street fair festival going on in your local community. We would go out there and set up, we'd rent a space first of all with the organizers and make sure we follow the rules and regulations, get all the permits and all that fun stuff that takes a lot of organizing behind the scenes. But then we would essentially go there, set up a booth, a stand, an awning, bring literature and some virtual reality experiences and some passionate volunteers and really just engage the public. And the beauty of this is that, again, we can meet people where they're at. Every conversation is different. Every person has different motivations. Every person is at a different stage in their life. So we can light that spark with whatever fuel is powering somebody's engine at that time. You get to have conversations with people who only eat, um, who say they only eat grass-fed chickens. You get to uh, have conversations with vegetarians, pescatarians, farmers. And even if the conversation doesn't necessarily result in veganism, we're always still planting seeds so that next time maybe they see a billboard that will get them over the next edge or a Facebook ad. And it's just really fun to see normal vegans come out and volunteer their time to basically just engage complete strangers in veganism and share their passion. Can you clarify what uh, what do you mean by the virtual reality experience? What does that entail? It's actually way less fancy than it sounds. So you can buy these, basically a headset off Amazon for a hundred bucks or less. that hooks up to a smartphone that people put over their faces and that will put them into a first person view at a scene of animal exploitation. Typically, it would be a slaughterhouse for chickens or pigs or cows, but there's also ones for fishes and other more um, less, not still equally graphic, but less stereotypical when you think of vegan advocacy footage. And they would take a pre-survey where they would write out their thoughts towards animals and veganism and things like that, and they'd watch the video. And then the key part is we would engage with them in a conversation after watching the video, really just pick their brain and keep that those gears turning. And they'd complete a follow-up survey about their thoughts towards animals and we found an overwhelming number of surveys reported positive results leaning more towards veganism after this experience how do you get people to watch that i know you know sometimes when i used to share videos on my facebook or try to ask people to watch things like what you're describing they would say oh you know i don't want to see that how do you get people to agree to to do this uh, I just, as I mentioned, I've always just taken this for granted is we have a great partnership with the team over at Veg Fund 
if you're a vegan advocate or an advocacy organization, I highly recommend you look up Veg Fund because they have a grant program where you can apply for funding where they will literally give you a dollar to give to somebody if they watch this video. So basically we just tell people, hey, if you watch this two minute long video, we'll give you a dollar. And it works. And a lot of times after watching it, they appreciate what we do and give the dollar back as a donation. So it's a win, win, win. Well, that's really cool. Um, we've heard you say that veganism is not a straight line, which I really like because I feel like it's not something, uh, in my opinion, that's black or black and white. I believe in progress, not perfection. So can you elaborate on what you mean by veganism is not a straight line? I think a perfect example of that is uh, one of our board members, best one of our best volunteers, and it was actually a guest on our podcast. I think the episode was called um, Testimony from a Former Ex-Vegan. So he went vegan, he stopped being vegan, and then he became vegan again. And now he's one of the most passionate vegan advocates I ever heard. So that's just one example of a more broader picture of why veganism is a journey, because you can fall off the wagon, you fall back on, you can never think you're going to get on it again, because become vegan again, and it's just always a shifting landscape but then there's also the there's no final destination for veganism you can't just say all right mission accomplished here's my vegan badge done because there's always something better you can do to reduce your negative impact on the world and reduce the suffering of animals and this also for me in particular just to give my personal example includes human animals I know that, yes, I can avoid animal products in my food, avoid the obvious clothing like leather and silk and wool and things like that. But then if I go and buy clothes that are made from polyester, made in a sweatshop, that's still exploiting human animals and harming them as well. And I consider that part of my vegan ethic of compassion extended to as many places as I can. And then all I have to do is post on a vegan forum, is honey vegan, to see another slew of examples of how everyone... It's not different stages or different thought processes. Throw in things like white sugar and all those other beta protein amino acids that are derived from some type of goat fur or whatever. It's just, you can always do something better. And just finding the place where you're comfortable at your stage in your life on your vegan journey that you can live consistently and still live a life you enjoy living, for me, is really what we're trying to push out on people. Natalie introduced me to two words today. One is nurdles, and the other one is veganuary. I didn't even know about this. Uh, if you want to look up nurdles, you can do that or ask her later. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so if, uh, for veganuary, uh, do you have any tips for any listeners who might want to dip their toe in the vegan waters to celebrate veganuary? For just turn out, I recommend do your research. There's a slew of articles out there, some on the Animal Advocates website. I'm sure you have a bunch you can put together over the years as well. But just do your research. There's, especially now with the um, proliferation of content on social media, there is a group, a Facebook group out there, a Reddit, sub, a subreddit, a blog, something out there that I'm sure relates to the challenges or things you're looking for. For example, um, if we're at a booth at an event and someone says, I can never go vegan because insert reason here. And to them, and probably to most people, those reasons are certainly valid. It could be irritable bowel syndrome or something like that. You just think you can never practice this diet with. But 
if you're looking to try something in January for Veganuary, or just any time, really, I say just start now if you want. Just go and find those resources and those groups of people who will be able to come at you with that level of empathy that someone who's maybe doesn't have the same life experiences or challenges you do will be able to walk you through them and let you know that this compassionate lifestyle is an option. So do your research, reach out to like-minded people, and really just know you're not alone no matter what your case is. Yeah, I really like how you mentioned reaching out to like-minded people. I think just sometimes from what I see as a fellow vegan, but from other vegans on social media, when when people ask questions, a lot of time there's judgment that comes with that. And I think it can turn people off that might be interested in this lifestyle. So if you are listening, you've got at least two non-judgmental organizations here with HAP and the Animal Advocates of South Central PA. So anyone can always feel free to, to reach out and make sure that you'll be received in a judgment-free zone, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to kind of shift gears with my question just because I'm actually really curious about this myself. Um, you're in a pretty ag-heavy part of the state. You know, here in Pittsburgh, we're obviously pretty urban. Um, so do you find that it's difficult to maintain your lifestyle and reach out to potential vegans when there is such a strong meat and dairy identity in your area? I, it depends on the audience you're approaching. It's Sometimes you do get into conversations with people who grew up on farms, who went to the farm show, really just had that in their blood. And it's almost like you're speaking a different language sometimes. So it's trying to tell people, hey, cows aren't made to suffer. They feel in love just like we do. And they go, no, we, we made that cow just to have food. That's the only reason they exist. And they just look at sometimes these living, breathing creatures like tools or commodities or inanimate objects. And it's, like I said, it's different language. It's so hard. And sometimes when you're having those conversations, at least me personally, I just cut my losses and say, I can better direct my advocacy work to a more receptive crowd. Though, just in the six and a half years I've been in this area, it has become much more vegan friendly. And that goes all the way to local family diner having impossible burgers or even just the coffee shops all having plant-based milks. I know it doesn't seem like a big deal to some people who may live in the more urban vegan friendly areas, but for an area like this, just those little things like having oat milk in your coffee is huge and really cool. And I think uh, uh, maybe not a win, but a nice little move in the right direction for the animals. Uh, but also, it's also a nice reminder as to why we do this. When I'm going for a run or a bike ride or even just driving my car through the countryside and you see those cows and they're milling around as a family, baby cows running around having fun, it's such a melancholy but also a very, uh, very motivating experience to see these creatures living, loving, and being a part of this world and knowing that we can do something to help them and future generations of these creatures just by simply not exploiting them. Do you find that there's any kind of desire from farmers in your area to shift away from the meat and dairy industry? I mean, you know, there's so many more, uh, more, much more demand for plant-based products. So do you find that any of them are converting to more sustainable and ethical practices? 
Not anecdotally. I haven't heard much. And I'm pretty close with a lot of the farmers at the farmers markets for their produce side of their things. And I think it might also raise the level of demand for some of these smaller farming operations because from the welfarist point of view for animal advocates, a lot of people say, well, well, what's one thing you always hear when you say, well, why aren't you vegan? They go, or they go, it's great that you're vegan. I personally only eat grass-fed beef or something like that. Yeah. Well, these smaller farms around us, a lot of them do only have grass-fed milk, dairy cows or beef or things like that. So people can gravitate towards those family-run operations. There's something this isn't necessarily related to veganism. I've always scratched my head about the idea that small businesses are essentially are inherently better than a bigger business because terrible people can run small businesses and terrible things can happen at small businesses too. So I don't know why the fact that small inherently makes it good. And I know that, yes, there's a level of corporate accountability, capitalism, search for a dollar and all that, but just because it's a small family farm doesn't mean they're not killing living, breathing, loving creatures. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> You're luckily you're around people who agree with everything you're saying, I think. So you're good. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so, Joe, uh, other than being uh, cigarette smoking party, hardcore partiers, uh, what do you think is the biggest misconception about being a, a vegan or living the vegan lifestyle? Uh, first, I do clarify I no longer smoke. I run insanely <laughs> long distances instead. Still drink pretty heavily, though, but in a very mature, um, responsible way. But what was the question? Uh, I can't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> other than other than people judging us for those things, uh, what do you think is the biggest misconception about being a vegan? I think it's that vegans have a tendency to latch on to that lifestyle and just make it their identity. Period. But I think through my conversations on my podcast, one of the best ways to make vegans is just be awesome and happy to be the or happy. Just be awesome and happen to be vegan. Because if someone knows you and you're doing great stuff and you're a cool person and that could look like whatever it is in your life, you could be a great skater, great employee, great churchgoer, great not churchgoer, whatever. If you're just around people and you're being awesome, however that looks for you, and you happen to be vegan, once someone finds out you're vegan, they go, oh, I guess vegans don't have to be all crazy pouring blood on people and turn over the table at weddings and things like that. They can just be normal people in society who happen to be vegan. That's something I can do. Let me try it. Yeah. You I know, Jason. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You're just going to say what I was going to say, I think. Probably not. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, I was just telling Natalie earlier about, uh, so I've been in on this vegan path for about 20 years. And I was telling Natalie after reading the, the email that you sent, that I, I kind of feel just what you said there is is true. Like for the first 15 years, I was kind of like hardcore about it and being angry at people for not being vegan. But the last five years, I've just kind of just concentrated on just trying to be a better me. And, you know, I don't get upset anymore. And I don't know that I'm converting anybody, but I think people like me better. So uh, I just I just wanted to say I agree with you about that. That's all. Now, Jason, I was going to ask you, because we always ask vegan guests their biggest misconception about veganism, but I've never asked you, Jason, what do you think the biggest misconception about veganism is? Uh, 
Boy, I don't know. You kind of put me on the spot. I didn't expect to answer any questions today. We uh, can talk about it next next podcast <laughs> if you want to think all right, about it. All right, it. yeah, I, I'm better when I think about things. <laughs> I think mine is twofold. One is that I can't eat anything. Well, first of all, I can eat whatever I want, but <laughs> that I choose not to eat anything, and I feel like my diet is much more robust than it was before I went vegan. Um and the other is that vegans have to tell everybody that they're vegan. Now, I do tell everybody that I'm vegan, but my husband's vegan and he doesn't tell everybody. So there's at least one that's not doing that <laughs> mm-hmm. annoying, stereotypical shout to the rooftops thing. I love the phrase you said that I can eat that, but I choose not to. I, I say that all the time, too. Oh, you can't have this hot dog. I can. I just don't want to. Or, right. But- yeah. And also, I, I don't want to feel like anyone out there feels pressured to be a, an exemplary person or needs to really push themselves to be amazing. Again, it all comes down to living a sustainable life that aligns with your ethics and makes you happy to be alive and in this world. Amen. Yeah. And, and there is no, as we were kind of talking about before, there is no perfection. I mean, I know a lot of vegans who are planning on giving, getting the vaccine for COVID, which was tested on a lot of animals. So I would not really consider the COVID vaccine to be vegan. Um, you know, does that mean you shouldn't get it? That's I'm not saying that. But I, I think that the people that see things as black and white are, are misguided in that sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe veganism is more of a goal than a, than a, a level that you attain. It's just. Yeah. A, yeah. It's a journey, not a destination. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Joe, is there anything else you want people to know? Uh, well, we have a podcast at the Animal Advocates that, as you mentioned, you were guests on. It's called the Be Kind Podcast. And we get to talk to really cool, amazing people like the fine team over here at Humane Action Pittsburgh. And it's just so much fun to hear all these unique perspectives and stories from like-minded vegans, even some non-vegans. We've had restaurant owners who aren't vegan on the show, and we had a owner of an Indian restaurant. He basically told us that he loves making vegan food because it gives him a chance to experiment and just things like that. Casual conversations between a few friends or volunteers. So if you're looking for another podcast, check it out. Yeah, I, I personally enjoyed it. I, I haven't listened since the radio station stopped, but all every episode that I uploaded onto the station when it was around was, I highly enjoyed it. So I just wanted to say thank you for doing that. Yeah, Joe, where can people find the podcast? Uh, it's on Apple, Google, Spotify. It's hosted on Podbean, if that's where you get your podcasts. And then I'm sure all those other sketchy third-party podcast feeds pick it up, too, if it's on those somehow. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up this trivia game. I'm ready. Okay, Natalie, you just have to get one right, or and we can finish out if you want, but all you have to do is get one. So, oh, okay. And you are in control. So here you go. Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 disappears. Jimmy Fallon becomes the host of The Tonight Show. Mm. See, I'm really good with years if it's, you know, from the time I was like born until my early 20s. But then after that, everything's kind of a blur. Uh, I'm going to guess maybe like 2015. Okay. Joe? I guess 2013. Ah, 
You guys, it's 2014. <laughs> All right, we'll have uh, we'll do we'll just call that one a tie. I guess I guess that would mean that Natalie clinches then. Well, give give me a chance at redemption. Get, uh, I don't have to run around the building naked. That's being <laughs> parties in college. If you got shut out of beer pong, you'd have to run around the frat house naked. All right, okay. all right. You got two left. Uh, Joe, this one's for you. The first iPhone is released, and Brittany shaves her head. Golly, um, two thousand, two thousand. Okay. Oh. Joe, I think you're way off on that one. I I know when Brittany shaved her head was, it's got to be like 2007. That's right, 2007. All so right, throwing Brittany in there, you knew I was going to get it. What were you going to say, Joe? I said, in my defense, I didn't start caring about recent events until I graduated from college in 2014. So <laughs> everything else is just yeah. a blur, huh? Before that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm much older and wiser, apparently. Let's go with that. <laughs> At least with trivia. All right, last chance. Oh wow, okay. I thought I I thought all of these were above 1986, but this one is not. So uh, this is an wow. Okay, this is good for animal advocacy too. Upton Sinclair writes. This is for Natalie. Upton Sinclair writes. The jungle. An earthquake devastates San Francisco. 1900. Okay, Joe. 19. 12. <laughs> uh, it's 1906. Is there is there a way? Are you both like tied again on that one, or I can't figure it out? Is that what do you we're think? Equi or equally think, apart. Or Natalie. I think. Yeah, I guess. I think. But if we're doing prices right rules, I'm over. So that means that Natalie <laughs> would get it. one, two, three, four, five, six, eleven, ten, nine, eight, seven, six. Oh yeah, you're both six apart, right? You're both six away. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Joe, I don't know. I can give you some more, but basically it's three for Natalie or four for Natalie and two ties. I'm going to cut my losses. <laughs> All right. Take your, <laughs> take your clothes off and take a lap. All right. You got it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Joe. Uh, it was good to see you. And uh, thanks for joining us here on the Humane Action Podcast. It was my pleasure. Thank you both for having me and all the great work you're doing. It's so inspiring to see so many great people out there doing so many great things. And I hope we can find a way to work together on some projects soon.